Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde. Entertainment reporter by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy. And healthy is hot. Join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing, and hopefully, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. Hi, everybody. Okay, so today we have Erin on the podcast. She is a mom of two, a health coach, and the founder of Raw Beauty Co., and the host of the Raw Beauty Talks podcast, which is really in line with the Healthiest Hot podcast. I find Erin incredibly inspirational. She's very open and honest when it comes to health, wellness, mental health, and the connection and relationship we have to our bodies. She has this 12-week online program called The Shift, which we she launched a couple of years ago, and through that program has helped countless women stop the cycle of food restriction, overeating, self-criticism, and negative body image so that they can finally feel free in their body. That is her program description, and it really sums up nicely some of the points that we hit in this conversation. Um, I've always been very open about my struggle uh, with food and body image, and there were a lot of great takeaways in this. So enjoy this week's episode of the Healthiest Hot Podcast with Erin. This is really special because on the podcast today, we have a fellow podcaster, Raw Beauty Talks, which is such an amazing space that you have created within oh. Raw Beauty Co. Um, definitely was uh, an inspiration for what I'm doing. So it's really, I feel really lucky to be able to be with you chatting on this podcast. So thanks so much oh. for doing this. You Chloe, right back at you. It's so always so fun to have these conversations when you have your own podcast and you get to kind of flip the script and be the one who's being interviewed. It, I have to say, I, I prefer being the interviewer. I love asking the questions. (laughs) Um, I am with you a hundred percent when I am on the other side, especially because like my day job is me interviewing people in the entertainment industry. And then my passion project is interviewing people in the health and wellness world. So very rarely am I on the other side. So whatever you're feeling right now, I completely, completely have been there and feel free to throw a question at me if ever you need to just like take a break from answering questions. I can guarantee you I will. It's just natural. It just comes naturally to me, but I am very excited to talk to you today and to um, have a chance to connect with your amazing audience and listeners who are tuning in. It's such a wild time right now in the world. (laughs) And so I feel like we need as many of these conversations as we can possibly have. How are you holding up with everything that's going on right now? Because I feel like everybody's world has just been turned upside down. Doesn't matter what you do or where you're from or what your story is. Everybody is affected by this pandemic. Yeah. I'll give you the answer that I should give you and then the real answer. How about we do that? (laughs) Can't wait for the real answer, but give me, give me the, uh, give me the 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 good answer is that I am so grateful 
to be with my family. Everyone's healthy in my circle. We um, came up to Whistler where we have a weekend place so that we could be like surrounded by nature and have more space for the kids to run around while we navigated trying to work without any childcare options. We have a two and a four year old as well. So they're not quite at the age where they can like do anything on their own. So, <laughs> so the real answer is that all of those things are true. So much gratitude, da, 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 but this is hard. This yeah. is hard. Like at any minute in this conversation, my four-year-old might run into this room butt naked and like demand to be on my keyboard. My husband is looking after him. So it's not like he's totally alone, but like anything could happen. And it's, I mean, as we were talking about before we started this call, when we, we came back into Canada, um, about four weeks ago. And because we'd been in the States, we had to go into self-isolation for what we thought would be two weeks. And now here we are in week four and we are going, we're going hour by hour is the truth. It is like you go moment to moment and there's a lot of really beautiful things that are coming out of this. I'm getting a lot of one-on-one time with my kids. We are spending a lot of time throwing rocks into the lake and (laughs) We made these like balloons this morning with string with glue on them. And when I say we, I mean, I made them. The kids had about like (laughs) two minute attention span and then we're gone. And here I am in the like outset front of our house making these glued string paper mache balloon things. Um, So we're having, we're making lots of memories, but it's also like, it's challenging. It's challenging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you are being honest about it because it's, a very bittersweet moment that we find ourselves in because for a lot of us, a lot of people I know, it's hustle, 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 grind, grind, grind. They've got their full-time job. They've got their side hustle. They're like part of four different fitness communities. They're in a relationship. They're trying to get in a relationship. Maybe they're a parent. I mean, it just, it felt like before this, everybody's plates were very full and everyone's cups were running on empty. And I think for a lot of people, they, could have never even imagined being given this, I don't want to call it a gift, but essentially we've been forced to slow down. And I think you can choose to look at that as a gift because I think for a lot of us, we would have never slowed down to this degree. So here we are. So stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside, you know, physically distance. But if you can, you know, take a step back and try to find those silver linings because there are always silver linings, no matter how hard a situation is. Um, But I imagine it also gets kind of tough with the two and a four-year-old because like you said, they can't do anything for themselves. Like I personally don't have kids, but I imagine two little tots running around constantly needing and vying for your attention. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. (laughs) That's where it's like moment to moment. And I think the, that it's been a bit of a transition. At first we were trying to do everything and then I just surrendered to the fact it is not possible in this moment to do everything. So it was like a calling of anything that was not of the utmost importance and everything has to fit either into nap time. I do my client calls in the morning for anyone who's on the East Coast. It's like I'm up at 5.30 doing 5.30. 30, 6 30 calls before everybody's wow. up. And then the other work is happening in the evenings because you just can't, it's like they know when you have looked at your phone 
they're on top of you. So there's just no point, right? Like there's no point in doing that struggle. And I'm lucky enough that I have the flexibility in my work mm -hmm. where I can do that. But there's a lot of people who are still like on Zoom meetings and they're required to be showing up for work and they're in the same situation. And like my heart just goes out to so many people right now who are, um, I mean, like, honestly, there are people who are not in relationships who are dealing with isolation and being alone. There are people yeah. on the healthcare field, like bless their hearts, who are having to go out to serve and to show up for their jobs and then come home from their to their families yeah. and wonder whether or not they have the virus. Like everyone out there deserves a gold star in this situation. Everyone out there deserves a nap. I wish I could like show up at everyone's house and make, you know, a beautiful home cooked meal and like just have some fun. I feel like we need some fun, but yeah. we're going to get through it. We are going to get through we will. it. Yeah, we will. And I think by getting through everyone really has to stay extra alert on how their mental health is doing and how maybe the mental health of their loved ones is doing. And yeah. I love that you not only recently posted an article about ways to reduce anxiety, because I think in a situation that we're in right now, everybody is feeling some form of anxiety. I really believe that that is something that's on a spectrum. Yeah. And for people who know what anxiety really feels like prior to this, you know, now it's almost like they can be empathetic to everyone who maybe has never felt anxiety. And now as a result of this situation, everyone's stress levels are a little bit higher. Everyone's panic levels are a little bit higher. Everyone's anxiety yeah. levels are a little bit higher. And I love that you shared that article. And then you also shared this breathing technique. So I was wondering if maybe you could share a couple of tips on how, you know, if someone is listening to this right now and is feeling a little bit anxious, like yeah. what are some tools that we can use to help bring that anxiety down a little bit? You know what? I've had so many people reaching out saying either my anxiety is at an all time high or I never had anxiety and now I know what it feels like. And um, I'm not surprised. I mean, if we go back to the basics of how our nervous system works and how our body works, um, our nervous system is split into our sympathetic system and our parasympathetic system. And only one system can be turned on at both times. So it's not like you can be calm with a little bit of stress. It's like your stress system is on or your rest and digest system is on. Sorry, my phone keeps like tilting over a bit, but um, in this type of situation for a lot of us, our sympathetic nervous system, which is that stress response has turned on and it's releasing cortisol into our body. And this is what is moving us into that survival mode where we find it usually a little bit harder to sleep. We're not making as conscious decisions in regards to our health about what it is that we're eating or um, the actions or habits that we're taking. Like, has anybody found that they are checking or especially at the beginning, we're checking the news all the time, every day. And it's like, we know that's not really serving us at some level and especially not serving our anxiety, but we can't stop and we're not thinking logically. We're in fight or flight mode. So the breathing technique that you're talking about is called 557 breathing. And the whole idea behind it is that it is mimicking the breath of an individual who is calm. And by doing that, even if the situation hasn't changed, we can trick our body into thinking that we're also calm, turning off the sympathetic nervous system and turning on the parasympathetic, that rest and digest response. So it's quite simple. You can do it anywhere. You do not have to sit down and meditate for 30 minutes doing this breath. Like I want you to use it while you are working on that project or before you eat a meal. Um, and essentially you're going to breathe in for five, hold for five, 
and breathe out for seven. Breathe in for five, hold for five, and breathe out for seven. Do you want to do one right now? I would love to. Anyone okay. who's listening, Let's um, do it. join us. We're going to do the five, five, seven. Okay. So for this first one, while you're watching this, you can just close your eyes and listen to the sound of my voice. And I want you to exhale your breath out. And then inhale for five, four, three, two, one. Hold for five, four, three, two, one. And exhale for seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Breathe in for five, four, three, two, one. Hold for five, four, three, two, one. And exhale for seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And this is honestly something, if you do it before bed, before you eat a meal, while you're in the shower, ideally you're going to do it about 10 times. But honestly, sometimes I'm like two, five, five, seven breaths and go like into whatever scenario you're in. Wow. But it's really going to help your body to um, start releasing those healthy chemicals that are going to create a sense of calm, lower your heart rate, and allow you to move from that irrational form of thinking into a more rational state where you can really process everything that's going on. It takes a lot of like mindfulness to just like slow down on the way out for seven counts. Like my body naturally just wanted to like exhale really quickly and get in more oxygen. I had to just, even though we only did it twice, I had to really focus on like having a slow exhale. And then that second time it got a little bit easier, but I think naturally my body's always in like a hyper aroused state where I'm just like excited and everything is, there's a lot of stimulation coming in, but yeah, that breathing technique. And that's something that you can do anywhere. Like you said, you don't have to be sitting down and meditating. You don't have to be in a special place or anything special. You just need your breath and your breath is always breath. Exactly. Exactly. So that's um, a tool that you can put in your back pocket and use anytime, not only when there's a pandemic happening, (laughs) but honestly, when we transition back into regular life, it is such a great tool to use to really help. I've heard people like, um, who are on the verge of having a panic attack, who are able to calm down their breath and, and prevent that from, you know, going into a full blown panic attack, just using that form of breathing. And I love that. I hope everyone really takes this and, and at least gives it a try because it almost gives you a sense of control because when you do have really bad anxiety and that panic is starting to increase, that's when, and if you've ever experienced a panic attack, it feels like everything is out of your control. It's almost like an out of body experience. But if you can kind of go back to your breath and feel grounded in your breath, that will give you a little semblance of control in a situation where you feel like everything is out of control. So great tip. I think that's a good one for right now, but also for any situation going forward. Before we go further, I meant to do this at the beginning, but we just, I got too excited. Um, for anyone who might not know Rob Beauty Talks and Rob Beauty Co., um, can you give us a little, just a little quick tease into like how it all started? Because it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish, you know, since the in- invention, since the birth of it. Mm, thank you so much. I... Oh, where, where do we begin this story? We have to go back to like when I was 16 years old, but I'll, I'll make it quick. Okay. So, oh, Rob Beauty Co. Um, 
it was one of those things that was born out of my own struggle. I had a very bad eating disorder when I was um, about 16 that was largely perpetuated from this ideal of beauty that is presented to us in media. Um, and so I was uh, diagnosed as anorexic in grade 11. And I've always been a long and lean girl, but I um, am a perfectionist and you know, with anything that I did, I kind of went full out and I had this idea of what, uh, what beautiful looked like and what I needed to do in order to achieve that. And I went for it. Um, I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, but I became obsessed with counting calories and obsessed with like doing all of the things that 17 magazine said that you should do. And that woman's health said that you should do. And these magazines became, Instagram wasn't around at the time. Like I can't even imagine if that was part of the story, but became a bit of a Bible to me. What I didn't realize at the time was that a lot of the women that I was comparing myself into the, in those magazines were Photoshopped and edited. And that, you know, I mean, you know, that it's a highly curated, um, photo shoot that's involved, but at a subconscious level, these types of images affect and impact all of us every single one of us. It's what sells products. We know that this is, you know, um, a, a huge driving force of uh, billion dollar industries. And so I, um, what started out really as just trying to be healthy, as just trying to be healthier, as just trying to like have that perfect body very quickly spiraled into a full blown eating disorder. Um, and how I would describe the difference between the two things is that disordered eating is often an obsession with food and you feel like it you know maybe takes up a lot of real estate in your mind you put a lot of weight and value on body image and control things in your life perhaps using food and exercise when i switched over into what was considered more of an eating disorder it no longer felt like i had any control over my actions or the decisions that i was going to make i knew that i was too skinny I, I didn't want to live this way anymore, but I could not stop counting calories. There was a voice in my head that was just like, you are not eating that. And, or if you eat that, then this is going to happen in X, Y, Z. So I ended up being hospitalized for um, about three months. I arrived at this inpatient program. All the other girls in the program had shaved their heads as like, um, uh, an F you to me, essentially, because when you go into the hospital, usually you're thinner than everyone else because you're the sickest. Yeah. But these girls were struggling and <laughs> on their own journeys. So they essentially like wanted me to know that I was not part of the group. They'd all shaved their heads. I was like, what is happening right now? Like, how did I get into this place? It was so, such a, such a scary, hard, challenging time one of the best uh, gifts that I ever had because it really took me on a deep dive of getting to know myself, of understanding how media works and how this world influences us. Um, and, and it was the starting point of Raw, which began as an interview series where we interviewed um, over 200 women and we photographed them without photo editing or filters. And we had really raw, honest conversations about kind of the exact, very similar to the conversations that we're having now on our podcast and that you're having with women. But at the time that wasn't really being done. And so it, I mean, 
it sparked a big conversation and an opportunity to work with some amazing brands, um, some incredible women. And that was, that was how it all began somewhere in there after about two years of doing interviews and photo shoots and having these conversations, I was like, I cannot have another conversation with a woman who hates her body, who is struggling with food, who, you know, whatever level it's at in the spectrum, because it doesn't matter if you have a full blown eating disorder or if you are, you know, obsessing over it and thinking about it in the back of your mind a little bit every day. It is still taking up real estate in your mind that could be spent elsewhere. And so I was like, I can't do it without having tools and without having information to support women in moving beyond this and in, in moving forward. And so um, that's when I started to do my health coaching training, my life coaching training, um, and working with uh, some of the top psychologists, therapists, nutritionists, and um, that, that was the foundation for the program that I now run called The Shift, which wow. is all about helping women end the battle with food in their body. Because there are a lot of women out there who do have a less than desirable relationship when it comes to body image and food. And I mean, you come from a place where you've actually experienced it, then you took it up a notch and got the education behind it. But you must, I imagine when you have clients come to you, come from a place of, of care, you know, where you really want them to succeed. Um, what was the biggest turning point for you when you realized, you know, you, you were there for three months, clearly you're doing so much better, which is amazing to see that you got out of it on the other side. And rehabilitation essentially to work on this relationship with food what was the turning point for you where you were like okay i think i can do this i think i can tell that voice inside my head that's telling me no you can't eat that that actually no i can because i need to be healthy and this is how i'm going to do it mm, yeah i went to the hospital and it wasn't like it was all roses when i got out i was at a healthy weight at that point and i was no longer um, feeling like so trapped by that voice of, um, of the eating disorder. That being said, it was food and exercise were still a major coping mechanism for me, um, for anxiety and stress. And so I don't even think at the time I knew that I was an anxious person. I just had an eating disorder. What I didn't understand was that <laughs> the eating disorder was a symptom of my anxiety. It was what I was trying to control to control the anxiety that I was feeling. And we'll talk about that um, in a little bit because it's such an important thing for women to understand in regards to healing their own relationship with food. But I came out and I kind of went in the opposite direction of anorexia. I went into this space where I was, uh, kind of restricting food during the day, like not even super restricting, just trying to eat really clean and really healthy during the day and still a lot of rules and rigidity around what I was eating. And then at night I would eat everything that I could get my hands on. And I would, you know, like be alone in the kitchen and feel like I couldn't stop eating. And it's like, I know I'm not hungry. Why am I having this whole bag of chips? And then why do I feel like I need to have a bowl of cereal after and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so then you have the shame over after eating all the things. Oh, yeah. So what do you do the next day? You restrict again. 
you restrict and you exercise and you work out and then you fall into this cycle. And this is the cycle that I work with primarily um, is women who are in this space because it is so exhausting. It feels like you're constantly failing at something. You're wondering like why you can't get it figured out. Your body is on this roller coaster because it doesn't have consistent nourishment. You're terrified of stopping the dieting because you think you're just going to go so far off the deep end. So you can't not restrict. And it is this cycle that women get into that requires so much time and energy that it it pulls us back from really feeling joy in our lives, from really getting good at what we're passionate about and what our skill set is beyond our body and beyond food. So, you know, there's so many of us out there right now who are like, women should be receiving equal pay and we want more women in C-suite and we want like more women who are doing this and that. And when are we going to have the you know, president of the United States be a woman? Well, until we are freed up from this obsession that we have about our bodies and the food that we're eating or not eating and whether we're hitting that like 60 minutes, five times a day on the treadmill and you better be sweating or else you're not working out. We don't have the capacity to move into some of these things. Like our brains are somewhere where like we're literally fighting a losing battle, right? And trying to maintain these images, which are impossible to uphold. So this is really the group of women that I love working with the most are the ones who are like, I want to feel healthy. I want to feel vibrant. I want to feel like I have the capacity to do the things that I was put here on earth to do. And maybe, you know, part of our work together is figuring out what that is. Um, but I feel like I'm trapped in this conversation about food and I'm tired of it. I'm over it, but i also don't know how to stop. It, hearing you talk about this is, is mind blowing to me because I have lived in that space so much. Like if I think back mm -hmm. to my teenage years and my 20s, I mean, that was where I lived and that's still where I find myself sometimes now, but I really yeah. am, have done a lot of work to, to not have it consume so much real estate in my brain, yeah. like you were mentioning. But it's almost hard for me to hear you say that that's, you know, you're the group of women you work with because I'm like, oh my gosh, I know, I know that. I know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. The shame yeah. and the, the over controlling in the day and the lack of control in the night. And then the counting calories in the morning to yeah. what you took in the night before. And that will dictate how much you eat in the day. And it really does take over so much of your thoughts and so much yeah. of your time. And it's really hard for a lot of people to understand um, why you would be such an obsessive person over that, especially if they look at you and they're like, oh, well, you're healthy. You look totally. great. Why would you worry about that? But it's, I think it's really hard for people to understand unless they've lived it because it becomes this, this narrative that just plays yeah. on repeat and it's really hard to get out. Yeah. You know what? You're bang on. And the thing is, is that oftentimes we assume that the people who are struggling with eating are either way too skinny or they're like larger for their mm -hmm. body. Um, what I find with a lot of the people that I work with, is like, you wouldn't know that they were struggling so much with food. And I think that's the reality for a lot of people is that, um, another thing that I find interesting within our healthcare system is that, 
there's care for those who are really sick. Like when I was anorexic and ended up in the hospital, I mean, I was literally going to die if I didn't end up in there. So there's programs for those individuals. And then there's so many like weight loss solutions and programs and, you know, doctor support for the other individuals. And then there's this whole middle section of people who are struggling with this, who are often like preaching ultimate health and things, but who are still, um, still living in a space where they're quite trapped by food and, um, and exercise and this, this eat, repent, repeat cycle that I'm talking about right now. I I love that you're out there helping women work on that. And I hope that women keep going to you and feel that, you know, they have a safe space where they can go and work on themselves and work on their relationships with their bodies and with food. But for those of us that maybe won't get the chance to work with you one-on-one, if we do find ourselves in that space, you know, what are some things that we should be watching out for and maybe some things that we can work on? Yeah. I'm so excited to share some tools with everyone that you can start applying to your life now. I think this is a really interesting time for a lot of people, for anybody who's ever had an issue with food. Um, and similar in the way that we were talking about anxiety, like this self-isolation period, or for those who are, um, still going to work, like for anybody, it, it involves a lot of stress. It involves a lot of boredom. It involves a lot of anxiety. It involves people being at home and near their kitchen 24 seven. All of these things are huge triggers for emotional eating. So we're seeing like all the memes right now coming out about, you know, gaining the quarantine 19 and like the, um, the fact that we can't do up our pants right now, which I'm all for, like, it's funny and it's, it's hilarious, but there's people who are really going to struggle with that process and who are struggling in this moment with how they feel about being at home and around this food and who are like in that cycle that we're talking about who are, um, yeah, who are really going to be hurting right now. So wherever you're at in the spectrum, I hope that these tools can help support, um, everybody. So the first thing to identify is that when we're talking about emotional eating, everybody eats emotionally sometimes. Emotional eating is not a problem. It's not a bad thing. We're human beings. One of, I believe, the um, purposes of food in our life is to bring us joy, is to be a connecting point for relationships, in addition to obviously fueling our body and giving us energy to do the things that we that we want to do. And so, um, emotional eating isn't bad. What becomes challenging or a problem is when it starts to control your life. When food is the only tool that you're using to soothe emotions, to address emotions, to push them down. Like I literally, you know, talk to clients about this image of them eating, eating, eating to stuff the feelings down. Cause I don't want to feel those feelings of sadness or anger or anxiety or whatever's coming up. So when we're using food as a tool to manage all of those emotions all the time, and we don't have any other tools in our tool belt, that's when it can start to get really complicated and uh, not a lot of fun. So I think it's important as well, when we're talking about the eating patterns that people have, the idea of restrictive eating, overeating, or doing a combination of the two, it's important for people to kind of identify where they fall. And like you said, it's often a spectrum. It's not like 
you're only a restrictive eater, or you're only an overeater, or some people will be overeaters and they're going to the drive through five different drive throughs in one night. And some people would consider overeating to be, um, having two bowls of ice cream in a night. And that's mm. like in their mind, really bad. So all of these things, it's a spectrum and it's about knowing what feels right for your body. I think one of the first places that everybody can start in this journey is um, understanding what truly nourishes you, what truly fuels you, fills you up, um, and makes you feel better. So the first thing I want to talk to um, everyone about is one of our main problems, in particular um, with women, is that we've become so disconnected with our own body with our own body and the messages that it is sending us. We um, are born into this world with a body that is designed to help us thrive, right? Like it is designed to help you survive, to tell you when you're hungry, to tell you when you're full, to tell you when you're tired and you need to go to bed, to, to allow you to feel joy so that you know you need more of that in your life. It's this incredible tool. And so often as women, we get into this negative relationship with it where we feel like our body isn't doing what we need it to do or isn't looking the way that we want it to look and therefore it is wrong or the messages that it's sending us aren't correct or accurate because I'm supposed to be intermittent fasting. So body, why are you hungry right now? Like this is so... You know, and so one of the the first steps that I think is so important is for us to reconnect with our body and the signals that it is giving us. Now, a lot of people have been disconnected from their body for so long that it's hard to even identify what it is that your body's telling you. So let's just start off by talking about one of the most basic fundamental uh, ways that our body speaks to us, which is through our hunger and fullness signals. Chloe, do you find you can tell when you're hungry? Like what are, what are the, the signals that your body tells you or gives you when it's hungry? So I definitely get cranky. Yeah. Like I can tell based on my mood. I don't typically get like the stomach pangs unless I've yeah. really gone way too long without eating, but typically I'll start to get a little hangry. Yeah. Um, I feel almost like clammy. Like I usually can tell by my Good. body temperature. Yes. But yeah, I don't, sometimes I just don't feel hungry. So then I forget to eat. So I have to really be aware of those signals, which sometimes I don't notice if I've gotten a little hangry, you know? Yeah. And you know what, that's such a good point is like, again, if we're working on a project or we're busy doing something and you're not tuned into your body and you're living in your mind, we can end up going, you know, a lot longer without hearing those signals from our body. But the more that you practice this as well, the the more quickly you're going to hear it and notice it so that you don't get to that stage where you're like 10 out of 10 hungry. But all those things that you just mentioned, so your body temperature changing, um, feeling more irritable. For some people, they get a little bit of a headache. They find it harder to concentrate on whatever it is that they're doing. Um, They might find that they have that stomachache or that growling stomachache. But with any of the things that I'm mentioning right now, Hunger is being, is a physical symptom. Hunger, the way that our body tells us that it's hungry is through physical signs. So 
one of the, the things that you can start to do when you notice yourself going into the kitchen or thinking about food is you can tune into your body and just see if there are any of those physical signs of hunger there. Are there any physical signs that are telling you you're hungry? If you haven't eaten for two to three hours um, and you're still not feeling any signs of hunger, to me, that's a bit of a sign that you've disconnected from your body so much that you're not able to hear what it's telling you. Because you might not be ravenous after two to three hours, yeah. but you might feel like a little something. Like a little you know? peckish. You need a little yeah, snack. A little exactly. A little peckish. It's snack time. So just practicing tuning into your body and asking yourself, am I hungry? If you're not noticing any physical signs of hunger, then the reason that you're going into the kitchen or that you're looking for food is more likely an emotional hunger that you're feeling. In which case you can ask yourself, what am I hungry for that can't be solved in the fridge right now? What am I craving in life that can't be solved in the cupboard. So you can ask yourself, what am I hungry for that can't be solved in the kitchen or in the uh, fridge? And what am I craving that can't be solved in the cupboard? And this is where we have to start tuning into those other feelings or emotions or things in our life that we're looking for. So maybe you are doing self-isolation by yourself and you're craving a relationship or human touch or a conversation with somebody. Um, maybe you are in a relationship and you, there's something going on. It's feeling tense and you need to have a conversation about that, or you're feeling sad about that. Um, maybe you're feeling frustrated Perhaps um, you are studying for something or trying to get through some work and you're feeling unmotivated or bored and that's what's led you to the kitchen. You're craving excitement. You're craving fun. You're craving a change of scene, something different. Maybe you've been sitting all day and you actually need to move your body. So the first step is identifying whether or not you're physically hungry. And then the second step is to try and identify what it is that you're actually hungry for. If you can identify that, okay, I'm stressed right now. I'm feeling anxious. I am so bored out of my mind right now. Are there some other things that you can do in order to address that feeling or emotion that is coming up? Now, a lot of the time um, we get into habits, we get into patterns. And so it's like, okay, I've identified that I'm stressed and I know I'm not eating because I'm physically hungry, but here I am and I'm still doing it. And like, oh, this is so annoying, but I'm also, I don't want to stop. So in those <laughs> moments, <laughs> can you identify? Yes. Are you like, in my head? <laughs> like, I know all the things, but why am I still doing it? Yeah. And because in, it, we're human beings. And so we get into these patterns or these habit loops that are driven by what I call the two P's. So they're driven by pleasure and they're driven by avoiding pain. So in any given moment as human beings, we're going to choose the thing that is immediately the most pleasurable to us and that is going to help us avoid the pain. So if you're feeling angry or bored or frustrated and there's like a box of Oreos sitting there or you could call your friend and like have a conversation, the quick fix, the most pleasurable option is the Oreos. Mm -hmm. So take the quick fix, we take the quick hit of pleasure, but in the end, 
the long run, it results in pain. What we want to start doing is sometimes choosing the option that feels a little bit more painful in the moment. I have to step away from the Oreo cookies and I actually have to like address this conversation that needs to happen, even though I don't want to do it and it's going to be painful to do it, but we address the conversation and on the other side, there's a lot more pleasure. And we've also actually uh, satisfied the thing that we're hungry for, the thing that we're craving versus just consuming the food. So, I mean, the, the thing with all of this is that it requires so much self-awareness and it requires us to be really conscious about what it is that we're doing and the actions that we're taking. So remember at the beginning of this conversation, when I talked about our sympathetic nervous system being turned on right now, and yeah. we're not in a rational state of mind. So that's why for a lot of people in this moment, they're like, I know this, or I know I should be doing my breathing or my meditation or that exercise would, you know, give me the good hormones, but their brain's being hijacked right now and it's in fight or flight. So it makes it more difficult to do these things. It's not impossible, but it's really important that as we're practicing it, we understand it's not going to create a change overnight mm-hmm. and we've got to give ourselves a lot of grace along the journey. <laughs> yeah. We need to be kind because sometimes you're going to reach for that Oreo and you you're going to eat it even if you're not hungry, but it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. There will be more times where you want to reach for that Oreo and yes. you can try to put this into action. Yes, absolutely. And it is not, I am like, I think sometimes the strangest health coach, there's so many health coaches out there right now who are like, I don't drink, I don't eat sugar, I'm vegan, and all of those things are great, and I'm always just so in awe of them. My mentality around all of this stuff is that the most addictive food is the food that you can't have. And Mm. that is what I experienced, you know, in all my years of struggling with disordered eating. So now the way that I eat is what we call intuitive eating. Intuitive eating has sort of 10 guiding principles. It is anti-diet. It is very flexible in the way that you eat. And it's all about tuning into your hunger and fullness levels and allowing yourself pleasure from food, allowing yourself to eat when your body is hungry and trusting that as you do that, your body is going to land at a really healthy, happy weight where it feels good and where you're fueled and energized. You're working together with your body and it's the most incredible thing. So um, I think, you know, oh, this conversation is a complicated one, but there are so many tools that people can start uh, practicing at home. So yeah, those are, those are some initial first thoughts. I think just having self-awareness is such a great first step. I think it's a great first step for many elements of life, but especially when it comes to food, especially right now when we're all, you know, self-isolating and we know that carbs and sugar, they do give you that quick hit. You literally get a dopamine rush. Like you feel good after you eat those foods, but then you might feel worse um, in the long run. So I think to kind of curb the, the shame over, as you say, I think that's worthwhile. It's worth trying. And if that's a first step, this is a powerful first step. Um, it's great that intuitive eating has worked for you. Do you now, when you look at food and you look at your relationship, you know, with your body, do you feel like you are truly in a good place? This is a place that you can, you can stay strong and keep moving forward in? Oh, you know what? <laughs> Yeah. Like I feel my life is so full right now. 
I don't have time for that BS <laughs> that I was so trapped in. Like, I just don't have time. And I think sometimes I would say the furthest I get in regards to my thoughts about my body or food is that because I have a long lean body naturally, I sometimes I'm like, I think people think I still have an eating disorder (laughs) other than my friends who all like have been around me and know. Um, It is just like, I'm so connected to my purpose right now. I'm so in trust with my body and knowing that I will have days where I eat more than I need it and days that I eat less and that it all always just balances out and, and lands sort of where it has been now for the last five, six years, even though I've had two kids, it's like, I went through both of those and loved pregnancy, like loved seeing my body change. Actually, you know what, if I'm being completely honest, the one thing that I would say um, in regards to body image is I miss my old boobs. I miss my pre-baby boobs. They were fierce. They were like, (laughs) they were like up defying gravity and now they're gone. And I, and like, this is a natural part of, um, I feel like being a woman and and I don't want to make it sound like I'm totally, uh, like, not impacted or influenced by a changing body or like what women should look like according to media. Um, but it just, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I was meant to be doing. I love my friends and family. I have two kids to take care of. And like, that's where my time and energy goes now. I, I don't have time to be worrying about all that other stuff. And the more time that I focus on all that stuff and the less time that I focus on the other stuff, like my body is the strongest that it's been in a long time, the healthiest that it's been in a long time. So I don't know. I'm like, there's no going back. Why would I ever want to go back to that place? No, you're going forward. (laughs) This is a, this is a one way street only going forward. Absolutely. I think it's great that you have truly found your purpose. You feel like you're doing what you should be doing and that your life is so full. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you look back at the journey that you've been on. And I think finding purpose and passion in life is this beautiful thing that we sometimes, you know, put high up on our list of priorities. And I think it should be, but I think it's really intimidating sometimes to be like, okay, it's time for me to find my passion and find my purpose and, and figure out what I'm supposed to do in life. Even sometimes now, you know, I'm 31, I'm very fortunate to, to, you know, have a job that I love. Um, I love the side hustle of healthy is hot, get to connect with amazing people. But even then sometimes I'm like, I, maybe, maybe there's like another purpose. Maybe there's like another step, another element to this where I could really step into it. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's hard to know. Maybe it's almost just being really in tune with yourself and knowing where that little guiding voice is trying to tell you to go, because it would be so great for everybody who's listening and everybody who's not even listening to be able to, to sit where you are and be like, my life is full. I have found what I'm supposed to do. I've been through it and I'm moving forward. Yeah. But also Chloe, it's like, it's, it's full and I'm in the process, but my life doesn't feel like, like it's still a journey, right? Like I think it's, it's very important for me to always have women know that it's not, it's not perfect. It's not that I still have 
big dreams and big ambitions and it feels like it's taking forever to get there, right? Like I'm still always working on things. I still struggle with anxiety. I, um, I have a podcast episode that just came out that it's 10 tips to help um, reduce anxiety in this period of time. We're not going to go through all the 10 tips and we talked about it briefly, but people can head on over there to listen. I talk about in that episode, my last piece is that I share that I take medication for anxiety right now. And it is a... um, I don't feel a ton of shame about it anymore, but I did for years. I felt like I um, couldn't be a health coach while having to rely on that. But after having my daughter, I went back to work right away because I love this stuff. It fuels me. I really wanted to work. My husband was like, please, like just <laughs> for the love of God, stop for a second. And I was like, no, like I can't do it. And so back to work, I went, launched the program and it was just way too much for my body. Almost overnight, I started having panic attacks for the first time in my life. Um, it sounds like you've had those before based on what you were yeah, saying. I've had a, a few, not many, but I've had a few and they stick with you. It feels it like you're is, going to die. Yeah. It is awful, awful, awful. And my doctor was like, we need to get you on some medication to help manage this. And I was like, no, you know, I'm just going to meditate. I'm just going to like get some exercise in. I need some sunshine. I need some good sleeps. And I was really resistant to it. Um, fast forward three weeks later, still having the panic attacks. I, th- I think they say after every panic attack that you have, it takes your system about five days to recover. And at this point I was having two a day. It was oh destroying gosh. me. I couldn't get out of bed. I was having um, what they call uh, intrusive thoughts about having to leave my family that I needed to just leave. Uh, super, super scary. And so finally was like, okay, I'll do whatever I can to not have to go through this anymore. And went on the medication that was two years ago, it saved my life. It was the best thing I ever did. It, um, that journey really taught me that medication is just one more tool on the list of meditation and journaling and therapy and all of these beautiful tools that we have access to. Um, and that in moments we need it. And it's mm-hmm. not about, you know, either being in the Eastern medication or Eastern practice yeah. camp or the Western medicine camp. It is about using both of those uh, bodies of medicine in order to be able to show up as our best self. Pre-corona, I was um, going to go off, was feeling really good. But obviously in this moment of time, when we're navigating so many different things and so many different changes, <laughs> like we're halting that process. Um, the reason that I want to share this with people is because sometimes I think when you hear you know, this type of podcast or you hear the health coaches or the meditation teachers or the yoga guru um, talking about doing this and that and the other thing to help with anxiety or you know, a big piece that we leave out as being an option is medication. I am not a doctor. I'm not prescribing this or telling everyone to go on it because there are a lot of things to consider before using something like that. But I think it's really important that we address the fact that it is not making you weak if you have to go on, that there are so many things that we're dealing with as a society right now that we've never had to deal with before. There are more on our plates than ever before. And 
if it is a tool that you feel like you need, it does not make you a bad person. And you can still show up in whatever industry, business, whatever it is that you want to. And I'm proof because I talk about the fact that I use this as a tool. And I also help people with meditation and with you know, all these other beautiful practices. Um, that it is something that will allow you to step into your strength in some cases. And, and there's nothing to be ashamed of at the end of the day. So I, yeah, I will happily, um, share that although I feel like I stand in my purpose and I have a beautiful family, like we're all still working on things, right? The journey is never ending. <laughs> I hope the journey never ends. I really hope the journey never ends. Cause I don't yeah. know what that would feel like to be like, okay, we're here. Now what? <laughs> Figured like, it all out. Nailed yeah. it. Done. 10 on 10. No, I think the journey is the exciting part where you get Mm -hmm. to just keep taking one step in front of the other. And I think it's so important to to continue to have big goals and they will happen. Everything that you want to happen, I have a feeling will happen, but you've got two little ones who desperately need your attention um, (laughs) because you're self-isolating with them and they are only two and four. So I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm glad that you guys are staying safe. And I always end the podcast the same way. What does healthy is hot mean to you, Erin? For some Mm. people, it's a feeling, a mantra, a quote, maybe what you live by at Raw Beauty Co. Yeah. To me, healthy is hot means knowing yourself, knowing your individual body, knowing where you're at in the journey, embracing that and elevating it. Always, you know, um, having sort of one hand on your heart, giving yourself compassion and love and another hand that is reaching for those stars. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what healthy is hot means to me. I'm into it. I'm into it. Okay. One day we are going to connect in person, but until then, can't wait. I'll see you soon. And just like that, another episode of the healthy is hot podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wilde. If you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe. So you never miss out rate and leave us a comment. Follow us on Instagram at healthy is hot. And remember healthy is fucking beautiful. See you next week.